Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you've found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, Dwalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everyone to episode 22 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Today, we're gonna be talking about small ball. That's right, many of you are entering a strategic planning phase for 2022, and I'm gonna ask you to think about stopping playing small ball. I'll explain what that means in this episode, but suffice to say, you'll be ready to take a lot of notes with that pad and pen in hand, and I think you're gonna have a lot of things to think about as you start looking over the horizon and into 2022. This will be a forward-looking type of an episode here on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I know you're gonna get a lot out of it, and I can't wait to share the content with you. So brew another cup of that wonderful Mila coffee and get ready to join me. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Once again, thanks for being a subscriber and a listener, and welcome to the show today. This is episode 22, one that we're calling Stop Playing Small Ball, looking at strategic planning into the year 2022. Like so many of you, DeWalker and I go through a quarterly planning session, and we also have what you would call an annual planning session, where we look ahead at the coming year, we think about what we want to do in the business, We look at what we want to add to the business, what we want to improve in the business. We work in the business and on the business. We are experiencing a lot of the same challenges as our audience. Many of you are transitioning out of the chair or maybe uh, reducing the number of days that you spend in the business clinically so that it will free you up to uh, take on more of a defined leadership role in the business. That transition to CEO from largest clinical producer to CEO is a challenge that I would say probably about 80% of our clients undertake while we're working with them. And it's natural. Uh, We are in much the same scenario. Many of you uh, know that we work, that DeWalker and I uh, do work uh, with clients one-on-one in a variety of relationships, be it consulting or associate equity or discovery day or capital raise or combination of all of those, even some M&A work as well. But we are also bringing people into our organization that will be client-facing, that will help us scale the business every bit as much as you look to bring in Uh, executive talent leadership uh, on the business side of the house, as well as uh, associates and hopefully future partners uh, in a clinical role. So your growth and scale process is not really dissimilar from ours. Granted, our business is different from yours, but the principles are the same. The challenges that we have within Polaris are the same that y'all confront as it relates to uh, 
to growing your business and the role that each of you plays in those businesses. So let's talk about strategic planning and let's talk about it specifically from a growth strategy context. And I'm really thinking about the year 2022. Uh, as I mentioned, we DeWalker and I devote a day once a quarter to um, uh, planning the next quarter's strategy and also evaluating where we are from a five-year, three-year, one-year looking ahead to the business so that we're always looking over the horizon, as I like to call it. Many of you do the same. If you don't, you definitely need to get in a, um, a, a, a process. It's more than a habit. You, you really need to have um, a day, a quarter with either you and or your partners and or your leadership team devoted to strategic planning. And if you're curious as to kind of how that fits together, the structure behind it, the things you talk about, the way you go about it and uh, everything like that from a leadership and an execution standpoint, um, we do offer a one-day strategic planning service that helps uh, clients do that. Happy to talk about that on a different episode or if you want to talk with me one-on-one -on -one about it. Um, but suffice to say, if you are not going through a quarterly and annual strategic planning session, um, uh, good luck <laughs> would be my response. But I would also tell you that Hope is not a strategy, as I like to say. You need to be intentional about it. And today I want to talk about growth strategy specifically. And I want to talk about uh, expanding the footprint and the number of locations in your business specifically. And when I said that we're calling this episode, um, stop playing small ball, what did I mean by that? Um, there are, uh, it's sort of a sports analogy, if you will. Uh, and for those who have played team sports before, um, uh, they can probably relate to this uh, because team sports most often involve a ball, uh, be it baseball, be it basketball, be it football, or even soccer. Uh, and when you hear um, a coach or, or a strategist or a commentator talk about playing small ball, um, that can be uh, labeled a couple of different ways. Uh, specifically, small ball usually refers to a scenario where um, a team uh, is, is not really pushing the envelope uh, to get the defense of the other team to react to what it's doing. When they're playing small ball in football, for example, they're not throwing the ball deep. They're running the ball in and around the line of scrimmage or they're running screen passes. Uh, but they're not doing anything to spread the defense out, to create space and create matchup opportunities. They're playing the game um, within a couple of yards of either line of, of the line of scrimmage. Uh, and the problem that that leads to in the context of sports teams is that um, you never really uh, realize the full potential of the offense in terms of bigger plays um, and, and creating um, uh, the or forcing the defense to play off balance. In business, playing small ball is really more akin to only doing the things that we understand thoroughly and never thinking on a grander scale or expanding our horizons. And while that can be good in some situations because that repetition within business hopefully means that whatever it is you're doing, you're doing, you're executing at a high degree of proficiency and success. 
But the challenge can be that it, it stagnates growth overall. And, and I think as we talk about strategic planning, um, one of the things that you have to undertake uh, in a strategic planning session, at least on an annual basis, is to get uncomfortable with growth potential and possibility. Getting uncomfortable with growth potential and possibility really means pushing yourself and your leadership team to think in grander scale. That could be more numerous acquisitions in this case, could be larger acquisitions, um, it could be different structures of acquisitions. But really pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone forces you to expand your horizons, it forces you to think differently, and usually it forces you to educate yourself in terms of figuring out a better way of doing things. And that last piece is, is something that um, some of you have heard me talk about a, a coach that I work with or a coaching organization that I work with called Strategic Coach out of Chicago. Um, and I've been in the Strategic Coach program for about three years. I know a, a number of people in our audience have also worked with Strategic Coach in the, in the past. Um, and it's really an entrepreneurial coaching organization. But one of their principles that they talk about frequently is breaking through something they call a ceiling of complexity. And a ceiling of complexity is self-limiting because all you know is what you know. And if you're not pushing yourself to break through that ceiling, to think about things on a grander scale and to seek the guidance of others um, that do things at a higher level, then inevitably as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you're going to stagnate. Think about it from your context, clinically speaking. Many of you in the audience um, have uh, been very uh, diligent, I would say, uh, very proactive about seeking to expand your clinical skill set, learning how to do um, more complicated clinical procedures, be they endodontic, orthodontic, implant dentistry, uh, surg um, uh, surgical procedures, even things that are technology enabled like sleep apnea and some things like that. So you didn't come out of dental school knowing how to do all of this. You learned about it from a colleague that it had success probably. And then you sought the educational path to learn how to do those expanded clinical skills yourselves. And now you're also probably trying to enable that clinical skill set in a lot of your newer, younger, greener associates. Same thing from a business context. You broke through a ceiling of clinical complexity by learning expanded clinical functions that were not uh, um, part of the core educational offering that you probably learned in dental school or residency. The same holds true for business context and principles. So when you start talking about strategic planning and growth strategies specifically, you need to think about things beyond what you know is the norm and what you're comfortable with. And, and I'm gonna start that by talking about uh, acquisitions 
And many of you are growing your businesses through acquisition. We have a handful of clients uh, that pursue a de novo model, meaning a startup, a cold start, or they may do a blend of de novo and acquisitions. But by and large, I'd say the, the vast majority of our clients are growing through acquisitions. They are buying another business and they're usually buying 100% of that business. So the seller in this context sells his or her business and, and usually, not all the time, but usually that seller is going to be retiring either immediately or imminently. Um, but now um, the, the entrepreneurial dentist that is uh, building a group practice and has just bought that, that practice owns 100% of that practice. They, par- they probably use debt funds from a bank to do it. Uh, and all the equity that they create is theirs and theirs alone. They'll have to source an associate to plug in there after the seller retires. Um, but it's it's a pretty tried and true methodology. But it's a really limited scope of prospects in terms of the practices to acquire, because it usually involves somebody selling their business outright. And then, like I say, all too often, they end up retiring afterwards. The seller ends up retiring afterwards. That's fine. There are a lot of those out there. That should definitely be uh, in your wheelhouse, and you should definitely be looking for those opportunities. However, there could be a number of people who are interested in selling their business, but aren't interested in selling all of it. They'd like to maintain an equity stake because they want to stay on. They don't want to retire and they want to go along for the ride for something called a second bite of the apple. You hear us talk about this a lot from the M&A perspective for our clients who are looking to sell their business, usually to a private equity backed group. And they want to roll equity into that larger group. And when the group recaps, they want to cash out a second time. Tried and true methodology, very much alive and well in the world of of M&A when we represent clients in the sell side market. But if you thought about that from your context, meaning acquiring businesses, would that create a different value proposition? And would that unlock potentially a different segment of the market that you could go after from an acquisition standpoint? It probably would. And it's a different pitch to those people. So you want to think about how you create the value proposition in your group practice that would entice somebody to sell his or her business to you, maybe 60% of it, 80% of it, 51% of it, some amount of it, but they would roll the remaining amount into equity in your business. You would end up with a minority partner at some level. I'm not going to get into levels of equity here, but suffice to say that person is now going to be, that seller is now going to be a highly engaged participant in the overall growth of the business. And that can be a great thing for you. And again, it's a different segment of the market that you would go after from a growth strategy standpoint. You heard us talk about in the prior series, uh, the prior handful of episodes that we recorded on the podcast, heard us talk about mergers and cap table mergers. And for those of you in the audience that have built successful groups that have some degree of size and volume, be it locations, volume of EBITDA, valuation, et cetera, there may come a point where you would like to merge a smaller group in with yours. 
that's a completely different value proposition and a completely different acquisition strategy than your traditional buy 100% of a solo practice. It really can help you expand your market share or go into a new market or into a new subspecialty a lot quicker than you could do it on a one-off basis or even uh, from a de novo standpoint. So if given the opportunity to merge a smaller group into your business, again, you might bring, uh, you might end up with either one or multiple minority partners, but it's a tremendous way for you to expand um, uh, the market share of your core business um, potentially consolidate some specialty services if it's a specialty group, uh, and certainly increase the value and valuation of your group much more rapidly. And this, again, is a different type of a pitch to a different type of seller based around a completely different value proposition. But if you're only thinking about acquisitions from a one-off standpoint, and buying that seller's business 100% um, and, and acquiring 100% of it, then you're not going to avail yourselves of any opportunities from either an equity role context or a merger context. And obviously, affiliations are the next component to that. We spent a good bit of time talking about affiliations in prior episodes, both conceptually and tactically. But this is an altogether different segment of the marketplace that's usually a different uh, type of target in terms of age and predisposition in terms of mindset. So as we think about these four buckets, if you will, solo practice acquiring it outright, solo practice acquiring the majority of it with an equity role into your business, a merger of a smaller group, and then a solo practice that would become an affiliate within your network. These are four different buckets with four totally different characteristics of owners, be they solo owners or multiple owners. And the value proposition to each one of them is significantly different. And the reason I wanna compare and contrast a little bit of all of this is that if we go back to what I opened up with, and that's the strategic planning concept that you probably are gonna be going through sometime soon for 2022, I have to believe that very many of you are going to think about the ways you're expanding your business, um, how to do that, when to do that, and lining up a number of targets. And my experience has been historically that working with clients, they only think about acquisition from, from a single standpoint basis. And that is finding somebody who's 65 years old, who's uh, ready to retire and buying that person's practice outright and having that person ultimately retire imminently um, or, or upon acquisition. And if you do that, you may find that you can create a level of success with that type of a seller, but you are shutting yourselves off to other aspects of the market that could be equally or more valuable than solo-based acquisitions. And you owe it to yourself to break through that ceiling of complexity, to think through different acquisition opportunities and how you might be able to achieve all of that. If you can do that and do that successfully, you'll grow your business at a much faster rate and arguably with a greater level of success for both you as the founder or founders and any minority partners with it. 
So it's incredibly important to, to think about uh, things on a grander scale, break through the ceiling of complexity and stop playing small ball, which is what I started off with. So there's one, there, there are two other things I want to bring to your uh, thought process as, you, as you're going through this and thinking about things in terms of the new calendar year coming up. Um, and, and I mentioned those four different types of acquisitions just loosely or broadly comparing and contrasting them. With that in mind, if you are going to pursue an acquisition-based growth strategy, you owe it to yourself to develop something we call a target acquisition profile. And some of you have heard me talk about this before conceptually um, and specifically it's a concept um, that we've been talking about for a number of years, honestly. And target acquisition profile is, is something that we find when clients come to us that they, they don't really have identified, honestly, um, or, or at least not specifically. And, and target acquisition profile is something that forces you to understand what you do well in terms of your core business, and it forces you to document what you're looking for in a business that you could potentially acquire. And to put it in some degree of context, I'll say that the, the people that run the business development teams for enterprise-level DSOs, so they have a huge business development department that sources practices to acquire um, and, and looks through all the financial data and operational data and everything like that and, and then de develops a thesis around you know, what they would potentially pay for that practice they're looking to acquire. And ultimately, the head of business development signs off on the acquisition, right? So it, it's, it's not just that they're going out there and looking for any practice to acquire. It has to fit a certain level of criteria. And that discipline, that set of criteria forces the business development team to say no to a lot of potential acquisitions. And that discipline of saying no to a potential acquisition that does not meet their target acquisition profile, it doesn't meet their criteria, saves them a lot of headache down the line. It also saves them candidly the, the probability for failure down the line. And we would all like to be able to avoid that. So I say that because again, there are many of you in the audience that think I wanna grow through acquisition, I wanna find the practices to acquire and any practice that comes on the market, I'm gonna take a, a swing at. And I'll tell you that if you talk to the, the business development teams, and the people who lead them in these enterprise level DSOs, they probably take a cut at, at about 10% of the practices that come across their radar. They are very disciplined in not swinging at pitches that are outside of their strike zone, to use another sports analogy here. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. So target acquisition profile forces you to go through building a set of criteria. 
And, and the set of criteria could involve things like, where is the practice located? How close to one of my current practices? Do I worry about cannibalization or, or you know, with patients and everything? Is it too close or is it too far to be able to support? So is it in our geography? Are we looking for a seller to retire immediately or imminently? Or are we looking for them to stay on board? Or does that even matter? It, it, could, it could vary with that. Um, how many operatories at a minimum are we looking for? Um, are we looking for larger footprint acquisitions, eight to 10 ops? Are we looking for smaller ones that we could in theory double um, the productive capacity out of it? Is there a minimum number of operatories below which we will not acquire unless there's the ability to add ops to physical expansion of, of the, the uh, property? Um, what's the payer mix? Are we going to embrace uh, government payer like Medicaid, or are we um, going to minimize it? It's got to be less than 10% of the overall revenue mix, or are we looking for absolute zero? Or are we comfortable with Medicaid? And we have processes around um, the, the Medicaid structure in terms of scheduling and compliance and uh, receivables and billing and things like that. Um, so, you know, payer, payer mix is a a, um, a significant piece to a target acquisition profile. Are we looking at a minimum amount of revenue or EBITDA um, in order to acquire that business uh, or a maximum amount even potentially um, that we don't want to pay above? Um, when it comes to um, the, uh, the clinical, the services mix, I guess you would say, um, are, there, are there things that we we don't want to acquire because we don't have the ability to replicate those clinical skills in our team of clinicians. So that would create some jeopardy on a revenue line, honestly. Um, are there things, operationally speaking, uh, that we need to uh, steer clear of or an amount of CapEx that we are not willing to invest in a, in a business um, that would make it cost prohibitive to acquire it? And that could be replacing things like dilapidated equipment. It could be making investments in technology um, to bring it up to our uh, standards, um, be it like uh, digital pan CEF or cone beam units or CAD CAM based systems and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So is, is there a CapEx requirement that would make this acquisition be cost prohibitive and we won't go above a certain threshold in terms of investment? Um, are we looking for the seller to roll equity or not? Uh, it could be that that you don't want people to roll equity. It could be that you want everyone to roll equity. So these are things to to think about uh, as it relates to sizing up target acquisition profile. You always want to know the top three uh, things that you can uh, reduce costs or take some some costs out of the uh, expense structure of the business. And you always want to itemize at least three things where you feel confident that you could generate revenue out of the business after you acquire it so that you have some upside uh, potential and you also have uh, some cost containment to expand margins on the bottom line, uh, which is critically important. And, and obviously, um, there's a lot more to target acquisition profile than I just rattle through, but I think I gave you some of the high-level concepts behind it in terms of how you want to think through developing your own target acquisition profile. And again, this is something we do with the vast majority of our clients in terms of trying to create clarity 
around what the businesses, uh, the characteristics of the businesses that they're looking to acquire. And it can't be that we're looking to acquire any business and every business that comes onto market. Um, the next thing and the last thing I'll say is that as you think about your strategy for 2022 and, and um, you know, looking to acquire more businesses, I think it's intensely problematic to rely on brokers to um, avail you of opportunities to acquire practices. Yes, most uh, practices for sale are listed by a broker. That's, that's normal. That's natural. But if you are going to grow your business through acquisition, you owe it to yourself to put on the hat of director of business development. And that means networking within your local community, starting to have the conversations with people who, who haven't probably even thought about selling their business, or maybe they're too young to consider a sale, uh, or they're just not ready and because they think that they have to sell the business and retire. But you need to start having those conversations with people from an organic standpoint, starting your networking, starting to build a funnel, a funnel of opportunities to get people mind ready to potentially want to be part of your group. And if you do that, you also should not wing it. And what do I mean by that? Anytime you sit down with somebody uh, in the business development teams of these enterprise level DSOs, they are going to have a pitch deck. They're going to have a printed copy or a PowerPoint or something to put in front of a prospective seller. And it tells the story of their DSO, tells the history of it, it tells the characteristics of it, it tells what makes them great, it talks about things like change management, talks about creating success going forward, it talks about partnership and joint venture opportunities and all types of things. And it lays out, to a great degree, the process of potentially becoming part of that group. And it's compelling. And these pitch decks are professionally done and they look really, really good and they help tell a story. And if you don't have something visual to fall back on that you could even leave with or email to in PDF copy, um, a prospective seller, then all you're doing is having a cup of coffee and shooting off the cuff. And the likelihood of them retaining anything more than about 20 to 25% of what you say is going to be completely lost on them. So not only do you owe it to yourself to develop your pitch to somebody, but you need to document it. It needs to be in visual format, either printed or electronic in some way that helps you tell your story. And that is not easy to build. But if you're going to really play professional league ball here, you need to look professional in doing it. And going off the cuff, I'm here to tell you, is not going to get the job done nine times out of 10. So not only building your target acquisition profile, but building your pitch and your pitch deck, your presentation to a prospective audience uh, is critically, critically important. So I know this has been a lot to, to probably digest. Um, and while it seems that I might have rambled a little bit. I hope it was still coherent and get you to think about what you're planning for 2022 and beyond, honestly.
but to think it at, think about acquisitions from several different lenses that would expand the top end of your funnel and hopefully give you more at-bats to get more hits to grow your business more quickly. And that breaking through the ceiling of complexity, I think, is, is of paramount importance uh, if you're going to grow um, through acquisition. And obviously, if you are developing a target acquisition profile and your pitch and pitch deck are going to be critically important to your success. I hope you got something out of that. I hope it's something that you feel that you can um, apply and something to think about as it relates to uh, the strategic planning sessions that many of you will be going through in 2022. And it goes without saying also that if you want help with something like that, we obviously provide those types of services here at Polaris. Be happy to talk with you um, about that and, and even lead one for you if you think you need help with it. But I think getting on the right uh, sheet of music with you and your leadership team as it relates to planning a, a new year ahead is uh, is of paramount importance. So I hope you've uh, hope you've gotten some uh, kernels of wisdom out of that uh, and some educational content. Feel free to drop me an email at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. So thanks once again to everybody for uh, joining me on the show today. I know that was a lot of information and it was highly conceptual, but I, I hope that it got you to think about things on a little bit of a, a more grander scale, if you will. Um, I also wanted to take a quick second and talk about the working group that we've got coming up um, on November's, uh, excuse me, November 4th and 5th. Um, as well as the 11th and the 12th. That's a Thursday and a Friday on both of those sessions. Many of you have seen that press release and uh, probably the PDF that we put out uh, about those sessions, and it does relate to growth strategy. We've had a number of questions about it, um, and, and I felt I'd take just a couple of quick seconds to, to go through what that's going to be. So um, it does, the subject matter does parallel a lot of what I've talked about today. I mean, I think the timing relative to the end of the calendar year and the, the start of a new calendar year is really critically important to getting off on the right foot in 2022 um, and having a plan to do just that. And everything that uh, I discussed about um, developing a, star a target acquisition profile, working through building a, a pitch deck and a value proposition, 100% uh, acquisitions, acquisitions with an equity role, mergers, and certainly affiliations are all going to be part of that two-day event. We're calling it a working group because this is not a seminar. It's not death by PowerPoint. There will be role playing in this. There's a lot of give and take with it. We will have uh, different law firms at each one of those sessions to talk about the legal context of everything from uh, indications of interest to letters of intent to asset purchase agreements to equity roles and structures and uh, drag along, tag along uh, rights, all sorts of stuff from a legal context. We're going to talk uh, a lot about the entire process of the, the closing process and due diligence and everything. So there is going to be a terrific amount of detail in these two days. And if you feel like that's something that would further galvanize your growth strategy for 2022, I highly encourage you to uh, consider joining us. We do have a few seats left. We're limiting each of those sessions to 10 participants. 
um, because we want it to be a small, intimate environment and we want people to roll up their sleeves and kind of get dirty with the subject matter and interact highly with it, as well as obviously doing a little bit of role playing um, around some of the scenarios that we present. So uh, feel free to drop me or DeWalker um, a, uh, uh, an email or give us a call about any of that. I'd be happy to, to provide some more clarity around it. But uh, suffice to say, I, I hope you can join us. And if those sessions aren't uh, convenient from a timing standpoint, uh, feel free to drop me an email. We might be able to craft something on a one-off for you. I know that a lot of you are going to go through that strategic planning cycle coming up. So I'm trying to get this information to you ahead of time to get you to think about things and get 2022 off on the right foot. God knows we're trying to do the same thing here at Polaris. So it's no different for us than it is for you. I had a lot of fun on today's episode, uh, and I hope you did as well. We are getting, uh, we continue to get um, a lot of nice comments and feedback uh, on the podcast, and and one five star rating and a, a comment that I got from a, a local dentist, I'll say a, a friend of mine here in the Charlotte market, which is CLT Tooth Doc. Um, Duke says, uh, I originally met Perrin on a bicycle ride, which is actually true. I do ride a decent amount, um, in the, the Charlotte community and, and ride with a good number of dentists. He says, um, uh, he, uh, Perrin and DeWalker are always a wealth of knowledge in the dental business. Nowadays, there are a ton of dental podcasts and all seem to talk about the same thing. Group practice accelerator stands out. Their content's fresh and applicable. And yes, the brew on Keurig is awful. Nespresso is better. So you know where uh, his bread is buttered as it relates to uh, coffee. But thanks so much, Duke, for a a very kind comment and a five-star rating. And for the rest in the audience, I'd encourage you to leave a a comment and a rating, if you would. It does help us on SEO and, and rankings within iTunes and everything. Obviously, DeWalker and I take them all to heart and appreciate every single one of them. Thanks so much for being in the audience. Um, If you do have questions and would like to submit them my way, again, you can reach me at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. If you want to find out more about us and what all we do, you can check out our website at www.PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Thanks so much for being a subscriber and a listener. We'll see you on the next episode.